And I want to ask you today, have you ever met somebody um, that had so much skill and so much talent and so much going for them, but they just couldn't quite get it all together in their life? Or how about the uh, young couple that everyone said was just meant for each other, and yet a few years into their marriage, they're done? What about the person who has just completely sold out to the world, says, I'm done with uh, the, the faith of my parents, I'm done with church, I'm not going anymore, and I don't want anything to do with God. He hasn't really come through for me the way I thought he should, and I want to live my life my way, and uh, I'm just going to make as much money as I can, sleep with whomever I want, entertain myself as much as possible. Ever known somebody who has become compromised morally, spiritually, physically, vocationally, financially? Are you compromised in some way? Have you sacrificed ethics or morals or honesty or integrity many times to self-protect or to self-promote? You know, by the end of this message, uh, you may realize that in some ways, we all are a bit compromised. And if you don't come to that conclusion, you may be more compromised than any of us. <laughs> We're in this series of messages, How Did I Get Here? These are seven things that kind of creep into people's lives, kind of sneak up on us. We make uh, one choice, another choice, another, and it's kind of snowballs. These seven things that um, one day we end up thinking, how did I get here? The lid comes off, relationships blow up, uh, we're finally caught in the act of something, uh, and they become somebody they never meant to become. Last week, we looked at these, uh, this devastating thing called cynicism, how we become cynics, and today we're going to look at what it means to be compromised or make compromises with the world. I thought I'd start off with, with three verses that kind of just should grip our hearts and go, wow, okay. Proverbs 10.9 says, He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. Luke 18. 17 says, for nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Ephesians 5.13, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. People fool themselves into thinking that their secret compromises really aren't hurting anybody. They're always going to remain private until one day they're not. Here's a question. Are you the person you always hoped you would be? I think we ought to vote. How many of you are the person you always hoped you would be? <laughs> no, just kidding. I, I read that question this last week. It just kind of made me stop and... Am I? Uh, uh, no one... 
sets out in life to be morally, ethically compromised. But it all starts somewhere. It, it, it may be that you weren't uh, 100% honest with a client because it would have cost you, it would cost you a sale or something. And uh, You might tell yourself that what you do at your computer is your own private thing and it's not hurting anybody. You may be a dad and you know your kids want more time with you, but they're so loud. <laughs> and they're so whiny and sometimes they're so difficult, I'll just let her handle it. You may be a woman in the, in the workplace and you're flirting with a coworker, and it crosses the line and you, you catch a glimpse from him that lets you know that he finds you attractive and it uh, makes you feel better than it should. You have so much pressure in your life and uh, your two evening uh, drinks have now become four or five or six and, uh, and of course you talk about people behind their back, but doesn't everybody? Kerry Newhoff says this, he says, the subtle compromises we make day after day, the half-truths, the rationalizations, the excuses, create a gap between who we are and who we want to be. A thousand little compromises have left you compromised. Here's something I read this week. Research shows that the average person hears as many as 200 lies per day. You agree with that? 200 lies per day. And it said that 60% of people lie during a typical 10-minute conversation. I'm sure that's nobody referenced here in this church, other people. You say, well, not me, I don't lie. Really? There's never an exaggeration How about an embellishment, a half-truth? Maybe you're just not saying something to leave a false impression to make yourself look better. Let's, no fudging of the facts, right? Ever. Tim and I were playing golf this past week. Why is that funny? Tenth hole. I hit a great shot. It went high and just kind of had a little fade on it. It went over the bunker, cleared the bunker, and you couldn't see because it went downhill, so you couldn't see where it was. And so I thought, man, this is going to be a great hole for me. And we drove up. The ball was just laying just perfect, and there was the green. The only problem was between me and the green was this tree. I mean, who plants a tree right there, Right? And we drive up on the ball, and, and, and Tim, my friend, he says, looks like you need to use your foot wedge. And you know what a foot wedge is. It's where you walk up to the ball, and you look around, and then you just kick it to a more favorable position. And I thought about it for a minute. Then I thought about this message. And I told him, I said, any other week I probably would have done it, but I'm, sp <laughs> I'm speaking on character this Sunday. 
You know, compromises can have short-term benefit, right? But long-term can be destructive. Many times we let our character take a back seat to uh, a focus on improving our competency. Uh, the world wants us to believe that in order to be successful, to get ahead, to make the most money, it's all about increasing your skills and your competency. Read books, go to conferences, network with people, be the sharpest person in the room. Success will be guaranteed. But we've all known those people who've they've just had everything going for them when it came to competency, yet one day they were let go. They were forced out or, or found out that they weren't the person that everyone thought they were. And uh, maybe they had an addiction or an affair or abused people or embezzled money or had ego issues. Or maybe they were just a huge jerk. <laughs> This is an important point here. Increasing competency doesn't determine capacity. Your character does. Again, Kerry Newhoff. Lack of character kills careers, shatters families, ruins friendships, destroys influence. And even if you never get fired or divorced over the compromises you make, your lack of character will limit the intimacy, joy, and depth you experience with God and with people. Like it or not, character, not competency, will determine your capacity. You know, I've done a lot of funerals in my ministry, and uh, whenever I attend a funeral or I perform a funeral, I always have this question that comes to my mind. I wonder what mine will look like. You ever think about that? I mean, the eulogies are always uh, kind of like the highlight reel of someone's life. You always hear the best, right? But what if the deceased, the dear departed, was just a real compromised person? I, I, I've been to funerals, I've done funerals where the family just absolutely struggles to say something nice. Because deep down, if they were honest, they've been waiting for this day. <laughs> you know, during all those eulogies I've heard, I've never heard someone recite the resume of the deceased. I've, I've, I've never heard them recount how much money was amassed by this person and... Uh, and many times as you're listening to eulogies, and you, um, it takes a little bit of reading between the lines, but you can tell many times what the legacy of this person is, what it is that they're leaving behind. Uh, oftentimes I'll meet with the family before a funeral, and uh, I can many times sense the pain that has been left by the person. I, I remember uh, one relative saying, finally, she's at peace. She was never happy. Man. Ever wonder what they'll say at yours? 
Better yet, picture your family around the dinner table five years or so after you're gone. And they're remembering you, and your life has now been reduced to like one or two sentences. <laughs> oh, I remember Dad. He drank a lot. He couldn't ever control his temper. I remember Dad. He worked all the time. He always worried about money. I remember Dad. All he did was watch TV. I remember Dad. He loved me so much. I miss him so much. I remember Dad. He always helped others. He really knew how to love people. I want to be like him. I remember Dad. He loved me so much, and everybody knew how much he loved Jesus. Don't be fooled. Your competency will make a good first impression, but it's your character that will leave the lasting impression. You know, before we look at how Jesus works in our life and changes us, a few signs that you're being compromised. Number one, your private life doesn't match your public life. You know what the Bible calls these people? Hypocrites. You hide things, number two. I mean, you don't want people to understand the stuff you do that you know you ought not do. Nobody wants their compromises out in front and center. Or three, your life has become all about you. No one treats you right, loves you enough, pays you enough, respects you enough. And I think it's important to know that not too many people, if any, will ever encourage you to work on your character. People in your life, your parents, your teachers, your boss, will always want you to work on what? Your competency. I want you to go to, to school and get a good education, parents tell their kids. Bosses will send you off to a conference or give you a book to read or training courses. And, uh, but who is it that is challenging you to be a person of integrity and character? Who's encouraging you to be a better you? Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus more concerned with your competency or your character? <laughs> he didn't come into your life to increase your income, build your reputation, or even make all your dreams come true. Sorry to burst your bubble if that was what you thought he was about. He came into your life to change you. Change you. The real you. So how exactly does that work? You know, back in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we have what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I want to focus on how kind of it wraps itself up. Uh, in verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. 
For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And I want to tell you, before, uh, I mean, for most of my life, when, when pastors would get up and they would teach this passage of Scripture, they would always put it in this context, that those of you who are a Christian have found the narrow way. Those of you who are not a Christian are on this broad road that leads to destruction. But I don't think that's at all what it means, to be honest. Because that's not the context of the passage. The overall teaching of Scripture, and we teach it here an awful lot, is that entrance into heaven is based solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't change your behavior enough to uh, say one day God says, okay, you're good enough. You can come to heaven. There is nothing in Scripture that supports that path. We are entered into heaven because of God's grace. He looks upon us and He sent His Son as a Savior to die on a cross to forgive us our sins and qualify us because of what He's done, not because of what we've done. No one can earn it. We are hopelessly lost without Him. And in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, what is the context for Jesus talking about this broad and narrow way? Well, it all comes at the end of this discourse that is all about what? <laughs> How you behave. Listen to the demands made in the Sermon on the Mount in these three chapters. I want to see if you measure up. I just made a list for your benefit, okay? Don't be angry. How's that going? Don't belittle a brother. Don't be estranged from a brother, but always reconcile. Don't lust, swear, or lie. Don't repay evil, but always turn the other cheek. Don't just go one mile, go the extra mile. Don't hate your enemies. What? Love them. Don't parade your righteousness around in order to be commended by others. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't pray in a way to bring attention to yourself. Don't withhold forgiveness. Don't store up treasures on earth. Don't ever worry. Don't ever judge. Don't point out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in yours. That's a good one. And don't treat people badly. How's it going? You got the Sermon of the Mount down? See, what Jesus is doing is he's helping his followers see how futile, how impossible their efforts towards character development is going to be. You can't live up, and most people just kind of, that are on the legalistic path, they go, well, I just give it as best try as I can. And yet Jesus, at the close, he says, there is a road, however. It is so narrow, but I can take you down this road, and it leads to life, real life, my life. It's this road where Jesus says, I will walk with you, I will train you, I will develop you, I will prune you, I will grow you, refine you. To the point where the world loses its hold on you. The 
the way of the Sermon on the Mount, or my life, Jesus says, will be your life. Joy will be constant. You won't be thrown around by the changing winds emotionally and uh, the events of the day won't send you high and low and uh, heaven will always be in your mind's eye. There will always be hope. Pain, when it comes, you will see it for what it is and You'll see how God is taking you, and He was working all things for your good. And, and it's for your good that He detached you from the hard investments of this world. The problem is this. Few ever find the narrow road. Even Christians. Few ever find it. Christians are still worrying, envy, judging. They still want everybody around them to change. They can be hypocritical. They can still be so invested in amassing worldly wealth, and they're still critical of others when they have so many faults themselves, and they still hate their enemies. They're still on this broad road that's destroying them. So you will you, will you, will I, will we let Jesus in to do his work to free us? from all these investments that are making us so anxious and so worried and so angry. And, and to be honest, when, when Jesus is doing these things in us and He is freeing us, we might fuss a bit about it. You ever fussed with Jesus? <laughs> oh, I want Jesus, but I also want I want a certain lifestyle, or I want this certain person to love me more, or I want a significant ministry, or I want success in my job, and broad road, destruction. John 15 says this, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser, Jesus speaking here. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Three conclusions that I draw from those two verses. Number one, you are not the vine dresser. God is. He's the one who prunes. He's the one who develops the character. He's the one who bears the fruit. He's the one who prepares the vine for life. Next conclusion is you are not the vine, Jesus is. That is the life through which the sap flows. It is the power. It is the life-giving sustenance that will bear fruit. Three, you are the branch. 
that God is always pruning. The road that leads to life is one of this constant pruning so that the life of Christ, this sap of the vine, can freely flow to strengthen you in Him so that you could be dropped into any place, any situation, and your heart would sing of the great joy you have of the Lord. You will know life like Paul did when he and Silas were stripped and they were beaten with rods and they were thrown into a prison all because they had freed a woman from demons. And they got to their jail cell and of course, what did they do? They sang praises. Narrow way. Few find it. Daniel, stop praying to your God. We're going to throw you in the lion's den. We're going to report that you're still praying. Daniel kept praying because he was on the narrow way. He was thrown in the lion's den, and God sent an angel to shut them up. Real life. Powerful, miraculous, God life. Few find it. This narrow way. is to let God have His way, to live on His terms completely. And I I don't have to tell you this, but the tighter that you hold your worldly attachments, the more painful it will be when, if you're open to His work, the more painful it will be when He pries your fingers off of them. But I want my career, and I want my ministry, and I want my family a certain way, and I want my future a certain way, and I want my retirement a certain way. (laughs) Broad road. I read this passage last week, but it's it's it applies here, Romans five three through five, and not only this, but we also exult, boast, proclaim. In our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character. I don't think you can get to this proven, tested, reliable, godly character without some tribulation. And the proven character is this hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We let Jesus use those problems for His work in us, and they build this perseverance which brings proven character, this character that can stand up to any situation the world wants to throw at me. I've been tested by the fires of life and found to be honest, righteous, and godly. So there's great hope for the future. 
James takes it to the next level. He says, when the, when the problems come, the tribulations come, consider it all what? Joy. Another opportunity for God to grow my character. Amen, right? Because when you have these problems and you consider it joy, there's this endurance that builds up. And look what he says in verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That word perfect, that Greek word teleos, it just means whole. There's nothing lacking. Narrow way, from those two passages, narrow way, people are always hopeful. They're fully matured in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're complete. They don't need anything else. They have been completely set free from being needy. Life, joy. If you find it, sadly. I close with this story. I came across uh, Kevin Ramsby. Kevin was the pastor of Revival Tabernacle in downtown Detroit. And he devoted his whole life to working with gangbangers, drug addicts, the lowest of the lows. Had a successful ministry. Things were going well until August 4th, 2009. Someone broke into his home. He confronted the robber at the bottom of the stairs, and he was stabbed 37 times. It didn't kill him, but it left four feet of scars covering his body. His survival was a miracle. In fact, he later found out that a half a dozen of the wounds were millimeters away from killing him or at least paralyzing him. They also found that there was this pool of blood around where the incident occurred, but something was missing because Kevin had found his way across uh, the yard to his neighbor's house to call for help, but there was not a drop of blood between the pool and his neighbor's house. Nobody could explain why. I think God knows how he got there. But all that is not the story I want to tell you. His attacker was Wesley McLemore. And Kevin decided to attend the sentencing after he had been convicted. And they asked him for a statement, and he got up, and he did not give a victim statement, but uh, he gave what would be called a life statement. He told Wesley in that courtroom, I forgive you. Wesley's family had disowned him, said, we don't want any part of this guy. And for all the years that Wesley since then, has been in prison, only one person has visited him. Kevin, the victim. And in Kevin's words, he says, God has forgiven me so much. How could I not forgive? 
narrow road, wouldn't you say? Narrow road stuff. Few find it. Beyond the narrow road, it doesn't look like the broad road that everybody else is on, even a lot of Christians. Do you uh, welcome the, let's put it this way, do you welcome the pruning shears of the gardener? Do you resist his work? No, I'll, I'll handle this. I want it my way. I don't know what made me think of this, but I remember in... You've seen It's a Wonderful Life, right? Christmas movie, sort of. <laughs> and George Bailey's on the bridge at the end and he's praying. And one of the things he says is, I want to live again. I want to live again. And that, that, that broad road, it robs you of life. It's where everybody is. It's what everybody's doing. It's... it's a, all Christians worry, right? All, all Christians judge, right? I want to live again. Bow your heads with me. Father, So many times when we study your word and we look at your word, there's these, these challenges, these, these, uh, these conflicts, if you will, between the simplicity of your word and the reality of our culture in which we live today. Everybody's given to materialism. Everybody's given to judgment. Everybody's given to worry. Everybody has some fear. Everybody, everybody, Father, we get sucked into a cultural norm that is not your way for us. And I pray, Father God, that, to, that the church would be able to influence the culture in which it lives, and it's not going to influence it if it looks like it. And so, Father, I am praying today for the ministry of your church. I'm praying for the very individual lives that make up your church, that there would be more and more and more narrow way people who are completely given over to the work of Christ Jesus. And every tribulation, every problem is considered joy because of where we have placed our life, how we have built the foundation of our life, the things that are now important to us that once weren't, the things that we've let go because that doesn't fit into heaven, that doesn't fit into the, the vision, the meaning, the reality of my life. And Father, as the church becomes more and more narrow road people and becomes more and more Submissive to the work of the gardener, the love of Christ just begins to move through the love of Christ that accepts that which is uh, 
even unacceptable to the world. The love of Christ that is including the lost and the hopeless and the worn. Father, I pray today for your power, for your truth, for your work. In Christ's name, we'll stand together.